all you dads and new dads out there in the dadverse. This is Davo here to a new episode of the Fearless Fathers podcast. It's been a while. It's been a long while. We used to do these every Thursday for the first year, but now we're here. We're back on another interview Monday since we stopped doing Thursday episodes for reasons. Today, I have an incredible guest on the show with me. His name is Exane Anderson from out in the beautiful mountain ranges way out west there. He is a husband, a father, a motivational speaker, and an author. We're going to get into that in a little bit. He's been seen and featured on places like Forbes.com, Speaker Magazine, TV, various blogs and podcasts. Honestly, this guy does a lot. He does a lot, and I'm pretty impressed. But on top of that, and I found this out through our research, apparently he is a self-proclaimed hide-and-seek expert. I don't know. I'm just going to throw that out there. That's what I found out. Exane's hopes to really just improve people's lives through his message, his really great story, and just to give people, not just dads, but other people, just an amazing, amazing opportunity to excel in their lives like he's had the opportunity to do for so long. And just recently, he just released his book, What I Want My Children to Know Before I Die, which released this month here in May 2020. We're going to talk about that. But before we even talk about that, we have a lot that we're going to catch up on, things like what you're going to do when you catch them doing it right how you're a CEO and you don't even know you're a CEO yet, ways to harness your feelings, harness your expertise, and just build that little bit next level version of yourself as a father, and a lot, lot more. So, Xane, welcome to the podcast, brother. It is an honor. It is a true honor to have you on the show today, man. Dave, thanks for having me on. It's an honor to be on the show tonight. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, we're going to dig right into this podcast. First, First and foremost question, hardest question of the night. What's one of your favorite memories or your funniest memories with one of your children? (laughs) Oh, goodness. One of my favorite or funniest memories with one of my children. Man, I've got so many of them. You know, um, I have have a daughter and she begged me. She said, hey, dad, uh, I want to hike to the top of this mountain that's close to our, our, our home here in Utah. Okay. And uh, this mountain happens to be 11,700 feet. And, um, you know, she's five years old. She goes, Dad, can I hike this mountain with you? And at first I was kind of thinking, you know, maybe we shouldn't do that. But she kept begging. And, I, and so I, I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let her do it if she really wants. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really kind of psych her up for it. So I said, you know what, are you ready to have your feet hurt quite a bit? And she said, yeah, Dad. And I said, are you sure? Cause like if we hike this mountain, it's 15 miles round trip. You're, you're definitely going to have sore feet. She goes, I can do it, dad. Anyway. So I decided to let her try. So we get up in the morning, we, we, we do this huge hike. I mean, we're going up thousands of feet of elevation. Again, this mountain's 11, it's over 11,700 feet, I think. And as we're going up the mountain, you know, there's other hikers, serious hikers who are hiking and they see this little five-year-old girl going along and they're high-fiving her and they giving her all kinds <laughs> of stuff. Anyway, she got to the top of the mountain there. I mean, she did it. I mean, she literally did it. Which and, and she had a standing ovation. There was there was a bunch of people at the top. They started clapping for her. And I thought, you know what? Sometimes we underestimate what our kids are 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 able to do. Sometimes we as parents, as dads, we uh, <laughs> we think, well, this is what they can do. And the truth is, you know, sometimes they can surprise you. I think kids, if you if they're given the opportunity they can do more. And, and that's one of the things that's great about being a dad is we can help bring that out. We can help inspire our kids to do good things, you know? And sometimes like I was blown away, 
she, she, I think for her personally, it really helped her confidence because she's, you know, she has this kind of like, I can do it attitude and, and, and it's, and it's kind of fun to watch. 11,000 feet <laughs> for a five-year-old. I yeah. don't even know. of adults I'd want to do 11,000 feet, myself included. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of crazy. Follow up. How was she feeling after that? Great. I think she was, I mean, she did. She, I mean, I think she really did legitimately towards the end as we got to the bottom of the mountain. Her feet were hurting. But I mean, I told her that and she expected it. So kind of managing those expectations, right? Where she's, you know, this is what's going to happen. And it did. I think she was okay, you know? Uh, Yeah. So I, you know, and she, she kind of brags about it. She's like, I hiked that mountain. And she's just, she's really cute. I'll have to send you a picture. She's really, I she's love it. That's, oh my, that's, that's amazing stuff. That is, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful memory to have just, and like you said, we <laughs> don't, yeah. we, we almost underestimate kids when it comes to doing certain things because we look at it in such a, such a tough, tough situation just for adults alone. And then we don't look at the imaginative out of the box, like, Hey, I could do this confidence that a kid has. And coming from yeah. you, it sounds like you really instill a lot of that, try and instill that confidence in your children. Well, you know, I try to, you know, I've blown it a lot of times. There's lots of times where I've had opportunities and I've blown it. But, but I think really, if you, um, you know, if you can look at your kids as, as having kind of almost unlimited potential, and how can you just as a dad, just help them unleash it? It's not like they, you know, they'll, they'll ask, they'll want to do things and, and, and of course, you as a dad, you know, it's our job to protect our children, you know. Uh, so let me give you one more example, just really quick here. I, mm-hmm. I, uh, my kids, it was December and, you know, I live in Utah where it can get pretty cold in December. So when December, they asked me, they said, hey, dad, can we sleep out in the backyard? And, and it was the same kind of situation. <laughs> like part of me is saying like, well, you're going to freeze to death, right? But I thought to myself, you know, I want to have, well, let's back up for a second. One of the things that they say about it's so important about how you react as a dad. So let, let me just give you an example. So like, sure. let's say your kid falls down and skins their knee and, you know, all, all kids skin their knee. It's not a big deal. You get scuffed, you know, it might be a little blood, a little there, but sometimes some parents have this, they want to rush to their kid's side and say, Oh my goodness, coochie, coochie, coo. I can't believe you, you know, you fell down and, and they make it this big episode. And the problem with that, I think, is is if the kid later skins their knee and they're alone, so they're walking down the street alone, they skin their knee, they hear your voice. They, that that reaction that you had kind of gets instilled in them. And so they think, oh, my gosh, am I fragile? Is something bad going to happen? And so as a dad, and it's not to be insensitive to your kids, but as sure. a dad, if you're saying, hey, you know, it looks like you skinned your knee. You know, that happens. You're going to be okay. Shake it off. And you act like it's no big deal. And of course, if they're truly injured, I mean, give them the help they need, right? But I'm saying, it, right, right. But, but if you're just kind of like, you know, you're going to be okay. They have that same voice in their head and they know later on if they, they skin their knee, they're going to be okay. So one of the things I've been trying to do is really watch as a dad, like how I react to things. So when they came to me in December, they said, hey, I want to sleep outside and it was 20 degrees outside. I said to them, you know, if you want to, you can. I think it's just really important that we find... Um, a way to make sure you're safe that you're, you know, you're not going to freeze to death. And so, you know, if we double up these mummy bags and you wear some thermals and we wear a good hat, you can sleep outside. And they did. And and I actually went out and slept out in the tent with them and we had a great time. And so, but I think it allowed them to say, okay, I can do this rather than if I would have reacted and said, 
oh my gosh, you'll freeze to death. Nobody sleeps outside. It, it then diminishes their confidence. It diminishes uh, that voice in their head that, hey, I can do things. Now, it's still my job as a dad to protect them, right? So I, I'm not going to go let them sleep outside and freeze to death. I mean, <laughs> there I really you have go. To teach you right? <laughs> yeah, you can't. I'm not, I'm not suggesting you do that. But I am saying when they have an idea, if you can help them safely, and, and, and you know, we really did talk through, you know, you got to stay warm. You don't want to be wet when you're outside. If you're in the middle, if you, if you get wet and you're, and you're that cold, you can really get in trouble. So let's stay dry. And so you kind of walk through all the things you would need to do. But it's that kind of thing where you want to build confidence in your kids. And so when they want to do something, as long as you as a dad can, can make sure it's safe and protective, I say try to give them as many opportunities as are reasonable. But just realize that sometimes you're reasonable. It might be you, you can let them go a little further. You know, that's my that's my opinion. I think I think that's a great point. Like, I didn't even think of that personally. Like, I live in northeastern Pennsylvania. I'm 45 minutes away from the Poconos. It gets cold here in the winter. I personally, I can't stand the cold. If it drops below 60, I'm free. I'm done. I'm staying inside. If my kid told me, hey, dad, you want to go sleep outside in negative three? I'd be like, no, absolutely not. Right, right. But you look at that in such a way where, yeah, you're instilling that confidence. And I remember a story like we talked about scraping the knee. My brother, he was like six or seven years old. He's playing out on the front. He bashes his head on the, on the front of the sidewalk, face plants right on the sidewalk. My mom's sitting there on the side. He goes, get up. You're fine. He goes, starts crying. He goes, okay. And starts running again. <laughs> right. And, and, they, and that brought me back to a lot of that. Yeah. They, they actually, I think kids look to their parents to see how they should react. So, you know, I fell down. I got a little hurt. Am I fragile? And if you really, if you really go and say, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Start, you know, unless it's a real situation. I mean, if they, I mean, if they have a problem, right. going, I mean, obviously get them the help they need. But I'm saying if it's just a minor thing to say, you know what, that happens, you're going to be okay. And, and then they have that voice in their head that, you know, my dad thinks I'm going to be okay. I think I'm going to be okay. And then it's, they're more confident later on. You know what I mean? It, and, that, and that's exactly a huge takeaway. I, I remember so many times where it's like I fell or I did this and it's like, oh, we got to come running. We got to come caught. It's like that, that really, I feel, I feel in myself that really sets up our future children for not being fully successful. I couldn't think of the word, but it, it really if you can't build that minor confidence and you can't build that ability to go out and step outside of that comfort zone, you're kind of setting your kids up for failure, even though you want to protect them, but you want to give them more confidence. It becomes such a balancing act of yeah. what is right. What's not right. Oh, you let your kid do that. I would never let him do that. But now you see your daughter walking 11, <laughs> you know, 11,000 feet. It's like, what? That's incredible. How did you do that? And, and it becomes this perpetual cycle of, well, this is kind of what I do. Yeah. And I think you're right. And, and giving your kids exactly like you say, Dave, the opportunity to, you know, um, you, you, they've got all this energy and, it, and it's, I think it's not our, it's not our da- job as a dad to like push it back. It's kind of our jo- job as a dad to kind of, to guide them safely so they can become these confident, amazing, good people. Like we want them to become, you know, so super good point you make. Yeah. A hundred percent. I, anyone, anyone listening today, take that advice, you know, we had Ethan Sheen way back on. We got in the white van to go to a job they never knew, right? That Those are small steps today that are going to lead to greater success down the road for your children, even for yourself, because now you're going to find something that you didn't realize you could do. Yeah, that's and it, right, man. We At some point, we as dads, we realize that our kids teach us a lot, right? We're supposed to teach them, and I tell you, I think at some point, most dads, they're like, man, my, te- my kids t- teach me, especially, you know, being truthfully, like, when you become a dad, you learn how to really love. I mean, teach you how you to love. Uh, somebody, you know, this, 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 this child that looks up to you like no, nobody else in the world. So, and we're talking about making choices and things. And I mean, you, you bring up 
uh, quite a bit about like the choices that you think don't matter actually truly matter. And what are your, like your thoughts about that? Yeah. Thanks for asking. This is a totally, this is a great question. So let me, let me give you an example um, about choices that you think don't matter that really do matter. So I know this guy and I know this guy named Daniel. Okay. And Daniel a while ago was accepted to Stanford's MBA program. Now, by the way, I said NBA. Somebody one time I told somebody the story. They thought I that was saying NBA, which is the National Basketball Association. Not talking about National Basketball Association. <laughs> talking about Masters of Business. Anyway, you know it's kind of a big deal. Back when I, I talked to him about this several years ago, and he he um, he uh, uh, he said I asked him. I said, Hey Daniel, what did you do to get accepted to Stanford? Which, by the way, is a kind of a big deal. Yeah. Because when I I, um, I looked it up. And I found out what the average Stanford MBA makes five years after they graduate. And this was several years ago. It's probably even more now with all the inflation. But um, they said he said in the article, it said that they made about $285,000 a year, five years after they graduate. During the same time, I went to the census uh, information. I found during, at that time when I checked, the average household income was about $55,000. So that's a difference of about $230,000. Well, if you, you know, let's just say he, he works another 30 years after that first five years, if you make $230,000 more a year than, you know, the next guy and you do it for 30 years, that's $6.9 million. So I could say, okay, because he got accepted to Stanford, there's a, at least a statistical good chance that he'll make, you know, $6.9 million more than the rest. But that, even that number I've given you is low because it doesn't take into account inflation. It doesn't take into account um, that most people, as they move in their career, they do a lot more. And this is only measuring year five. Anyway, mm-hmm. I went to Daniel and I said to him, I said, hey, Daniel, what did you do to get accepted to Stanford? And his answer was really surprising. He, this is what he said to me. He said, you know what? My dad taught me that if I didn't understand something, I had to go look it up. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, wait, $6.9 million, look stuff up. Like, Tell me more, right? Tell me more. <laughs> and he goes, well... You know, so how this would play out in real life is I have an assignment for school. I had to read a book or an assignment or something. And I get to this word that I didn't understand and I have to look it up in the dictionary. And uh, and I'm thinking to myself, OK, tell me more. And he said, well, I'd go I'd spend a minute or two and look it up in the dictionary. You know, this is pre Google. He didn't have right. to look it up on Google. <laughs> Four thousand um, encyclopedias all through the house. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, anyway, like. uh so he would say, I'd go look it up. And then I come back and read this book. And now I understood what they were talking about. And because I understood what they were talking about, he goes, the real magic happened later. Cause I'd hear it on TV or I'd hear it on the radio. And I'd make these connections that I'd never, never had would have made before. And I thought to myself, okay, that makes sense. But I'm still thinking $6.9 million look stuff up in the dictionary. And I said, so I said this, I go, Daniel, was there anything else you did? And he just kind of looked at me funny and he goes, I mean, sometimes I had to look stuff up in the encyclopedia. <laughs> well, here's where it gets crazy. I, I, I thought about this for years and I'm kind of a slow learner. Okay. So I go back to this guy five years later, I go back to him and I said, Hey, Daniel, tell me how much time were you, were you spending looking stuff up in the dictionary on average, like on a normal day? And he goes, it wasn't that long, maybe five, 10, 15 minutes. I said, well, what was it on a bad day? And he said, you know, maybe on a bad day, it was a half an hour. 
And so I, after I talked to him this day, I, I went home and I did some math. And I, what I did is I added up all the hours that he was in school, like the entire, his entire school career up before he went to the Stanford. Okay. So like kindergarten, first grade, second grade, first grade, third grade, yep. all the way through middle school, junior high, all the way through high school, even college, even summers. And, and I, I assumed that he had a bad day every day. And I, so I added up all this time and I divided it into $6.9 million. Here's my question for you. How much money do you think Daniel was making as, say, a third grader looking stuff up in the dictionary? I mean, per hour. What do you think his hourly rate was? Hourly rate? I would say. You don't have, couple, I mean, this is an unfair question because how would you? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to do quick, uh, quick public school math in my head here. I'm going to say about $1,000 an hour. Yeah, you're close. It was actually. Here's the funny thing. It was actually $2,200 an hour. And by the way, that's low because I was using the worst case scenario. If you only add, if you use like five or 10 minutes, it was more like probably eight or eight or $10,000 an hour, depending on what you did. And, and that's realized it's not including inflation. If you include inflation in there, it could be 16 or $20,000 an hour. But it, he was making at least 20, around $2,200 an hour looking stuff up in the dictionary. And the reason I tell you the story is because, you know, as a dad, I mean, his dad made a huge difference here. It just encouraged him to do it. And you may think, like, like let me just give you an example. You may think that your little tiny daily decisions, Dave or X, I mean, whoever, don't matter. A lot of people think it doesn't really matter what I do. There's no, call. but the truth was for Daniel, I mean, if I told you, hey, you should look something up if you don't understand something, most people say, well, yeah, you're right. I should. And if I tell you, you know, but most people wouldn't realize how much sense it could make. Do you know what I'm saying? So when we talk about little things that you do differently as a dad, when we're talking about like, like there's little tiny things you can do as a dad that if you just make that little shift, like I'm just going to look something up or, and we'll talk about some things maybe today, but these yeah. little tiny shifts, if you do them consistently over time, they're everything, man. Your little decisions literally are everything you have said exactly what i believe my one of my favorite personal development gurus dean graziosi i'm sure you've heard of him works with tony robbins he always says the words consistency compounds and it's true yes i mean growing up if you know if my dad said oh well just look it up in the dictionary just look it up you don't think as a five-year-old or a seven-year-old in grade school you're like oh, what do you mean i gotta look it up i don't know how to do this it's hard it but that goes back to like we're talking about. It doesn't build that confidence early on. You're, you're kind of skittish. You're looking for that consistent help. You're looking for that consistent compounding of having your parents come back, give you this guidance, give you this help. And it, what it does is it sets you up for that failure where Daniel now, you're talking two grand a, a, an hour as a third grader, yeah. but you don't think of that. Yeah. And see, and nobody was sitting there going, Hey, good job. You look stuff up for an hour. Here's 2,200 bucks. I mean, it comes right. later, right? The compounding, like you say, exactly. It comes later, but it's kind of this, uh, it's this principle. Well, yeah, the great thing about parenting is it really is the best way to parent. And, and, um, it, it, it means the very best way to teach people. Let, let me tell you what I mean. Um, and, and sorry, do you mind if I interject this right here? By all means, go right ahead. I was talking to this. I was talking to my brother 
And my brother, you know, he's a smart guy. He went to Harvard in education. So he loves to talk about education. He always talks about education. I love talking about education with him because he's he's this wealth of knowledge. So a lot of times when I'm chatting with my brother, we're talking about education. Well, one time this topic came up where we were talking about, you know, if, if you could educate somebody and you had no limit, like there was no limit to the, the money, the resources, you could do anything. What would be the best way to educate them? So like, for example, and, and we came up with this idea with that. It, well, if you could just follow around the kind of person you want to be like that, you could do that. Let, let me tell you what I mean. So like, let's just say you want to be a hedge fund manager, by the way, some hedge fund managers make yeah. billions, hundreds of millions. I mean, they make, they're one of the, I think they may be the top paid person or right. one of the top paid people in the world. And uh, it, right now, if you want to be a hedge fund manager, you would have to get a really good score on the GMAT. You'd have to um, go to, you know, an Ivy league school. You'd probably have to work for 20 years. And then eventually if you played your cards right and you learned everything, you might become a hedge fund manager in two or three decades if you did it right. Um, but our theory was, well, what if you could just follow around the top hedge fund manager in the world or one of the top ones and just sit there with them? What if you could just sit there and listen, like sit in the boardrooms with them, see when they bought and sold, see who they talked to, how did they hire and fire? What did, I mean, and you just followed around for a few years. I bet you in a few years, you would be really, really pretty good at hedge fund managing and you could do it faster than three decades. Well, let me, let me go down the story just a little further here because um, I'm sitting here um, at this, I, after I talked to my brother, I'm sitting at the stoplight and this car goes through and I'm thinking, and something hit me. I'm like, Oh my goodness. The best way to teach people has been around for thousands of years. It's called parenting. Okay. It's been around now. One more thing to the story really quick here. I was, I was at, I was working as a real estate agent at this builder years ago and the market was really slow. And so it was, you would think this is funny. They actually, we went out two and two to knock on these apartment doors to try to get people to buy houses because the market was so slow. Anyway, I'm sitting here with this other guy. We knock on this door and there's some, this, this little kid comes to the door and says, hi, my mom told me to tell you that she can't come to the door because she's in the bathroom or something like that. Or I, can, I don't remember. It was something like that. And, and then from behind the door, you could hear this mom say, okay, honey, shut the door. You know, <laughs> She obviously was not in the bathroom. She was hiding behind the door. And it was just kind of a funny story at first. But as I thought about it later, I thought to myself, actually, it was a little bit sad because I don't think that mom got up that morning and said to herself, today, I am going to use the most powerful way to teach my kid. And I'm going to teach my kid to lie. I don't think the mom did that. I mean, it was just, she, she, she wasn't thinking along those lines, like today, I'm going to teach my, I'm going to teach my child to lie using the best way to teach somebody. And so I think like there, are, we literally have thousands of opportunities every day to make these little tiny choices and they're big deals because really like that parent, whether they thought they were or not, literally was using like, I mean, we, we have people follow us around and it's the most effective way to teach, I think. Yeah. And when they see the little things we do, I mean, just tiny things, it's, it has a way, way, way bigger effect than you think. And now I'm talking no, to myself. You, this is, this is all you. <laughs> you. You are dropping some amazing value. And like I'm sitting here and you, obviously you guys listening, it's audio only. I'm like, my mind's blowing. Because when you brought up about education, I am a huge believer that for me personally, I think a lot of traditional education is going out the window. 
and we're going to talk, we're going to talk a little bit more here about education here in a minute outside of like specialized knowledge, like lawyer, doctor, educator, stuff like that. When we're talking things like if you could intern for a year, two years, a head fund manager, interior designer, and learn that knowledge, actually grasp on and figure out the bits and pieces and the nuances and how they go about it. I've always felt that's always been a way for me to learn. And that's always a way that my parents tried to teach me to learn is like, look at the little pieces that are connecting your puzzle. And younger, I'm like, that's exactly right. Go ahead. No, well, to just cut you off really briefly here, our kids look up to us as that hedge fund manager. To our kids, we're that top-notch hedge funds manager that they get to follow around and they want to follow around. Like, we're it. And and we don't get them for just two or three years, like you were saying. Like, we get them for, like, probably 18 years, right, until they leave the house or something. But it's it's absolutely (laughs) true. And, I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast so many times. Like, the little actions you take today, like – one of their one of our best episodes, procrastination and how we procrastinate as fathers and we come home from a tough day at work and all we want to do is sit around and have a beer and sit on our phones for three hours. Well, our six year old or our four year old or our ten year old, they're picking up on those nuances. They're picking up on the consistency of, well, this is what my dad does. So this is what I'm going to continue to do because this is what I was taught. I was taught this. I may not like it, but this is how I'm figuring out the world works. And I always try and preach to people, or not even preach, but I always try and say, the ki- our children have no idea how this world works. They literally look to us every single day to figure out how this world wow. works. We don't even know how this world works 95% of the time. We're still figuring it out. Yeah, you got it. We're, we're trying to figure it out ourselves, right? I think one of the things you touched on was super important, you know, like, th- especially with technology, like, in some ways, when you have your phone out, what you're really saying is that whatever's on my phone is more important than you. And I think, it, I mean, it's hard. We, we, we need our phones sometimes work. We need our phones to communicate. But like, I think as a dad, to be willing to just say, I'm going to turn my phone off or I'm going to put it in the other room or I'm going to just put it in my back pocket or whatever so I can be present. So my kid can feel that like, you know, dad loves me. My dad is keyed in and he's not on his phone half the time. And I, I gosh, I'll tell you, I've blown this many times, okay? Guilty. But I'm trying. Guilty. <laughs> right, I'm trying. <laughs> We were talking about before the before we started recording. I'm a big gamer, so I like to play video games. I like to just hang out. It, that's kind of like my own personal space. And there's been times, man, where my sure. kid he comes up, and he's like, "Daddy, you want to play?" And I'm like, "Oh, not really." And then I catch myself in that moment. I'm like, "Wait a minute, my kid just asked me to play. I want to do better than what my parents did, where they're like, "No, oh, just go away and go play by yourself." I have actually physically like I'm been on my phone and I've been playing something. He's like, "Hey, let's play Spider Man." And I'm like, "Okay." I've literally thrown my phone across the room and I said, "Let's play." And good for you, man. <laughs> That's awesome. Good and for there you, have Dave. been times where I'm like, I forget. I'm like, man, he really wanted to play. I'm like, I feel horrible about it. But we talk about these generational traditions, like our dads taught us and they, those little things, like they wanted to go home after work and they just wanted to read the newspaper or, you know, watch their shows, whatever the case is, right. That, that kind of stuff compounded in our lives. So it compounded to us. So now we're fighting this level of, understanding and educating ourselves like hey i don't want to put my kids through what i went through growing up i want to be able to take my phone right here and and flick it right across my hallway so my kid can know for 10 minutes 10 minutes he wants to play spider-man that's fine then i can go out and do my own thing but i think that's so imperative as a dad not just even as a dad but as a human being that we need to be more present in that moment 
we need to know that those little moments that, yeah, we want to scroll, we want to mind them, but it's really those little moments that are going to make huge differences in ourselves and our children down the road. I really believe that your little tiny choices that you don't think matter are everything. I mean, anything you want to do in life. I mean, think about Daniel. Here he's going to make millions of dollars more, most likely, because he's gone to this nice big school. But it wasn't because he went to some great private school or that he took some amazing course. It was because just, you know, five or 10, 15 minutes a day, most days, I just go look stuff up in the dictionary. And that's a little tiny decision that like, you don't, you don't see. Well, that same kind of decision, like when my kid asked me to play and I'm like, well, I'm busy because I'm surfing the web on some dumb social media site or whatever. That, that right there, just being present. I mean, that's something that if you, if you play it all the way down, I mean, you could save a, a troubled teen from suicide. You could, you know, even in your marriage, you could save a marriage. You, the little tiny things that you think don't matter when you play them all the way down for, for years, they're actually the delayed big gratification. You know what I'm saying? They're delayed gratification. hundred percent. So we're talking about the small stuff and how that takes a matter. But I really want to talk about, and this, this is a topic that I, I just want to sink my teeth into because I love this so much. Us as dads being the CEOs of our children, particularly our education. Oh, what do you got on that? Oh, thanks. Thanks for asking Dave. So let, I'm, I'm passionate about this too. Super passionate. Let me, let me tell you. Um, I think there's this movement, uh, in the world where it's kind of like the system or the schools or the government, it kind of, and, and it, I, I don't like it at all, but they're saying basically we own your kids. And is your, if you're a dad, you're just kind of, you know, you're the caretaker. I mean, don't do anything too, too weird or bad, but just take care of them. And we're going to teach them whatever we want to teach. And really, you know, going back to my brother, I bring him up a lot because I talk <laughs> with education about him all the time. And he, and he's, and he, we were, he and I were talking, he said, you know, the very best outcomes with children happen when parents act like the CEOs of their kids' education. Now, and a lot of a lot of parents and dads are checked out. They're just kind of, well, I'll send my kid to their school and whatever. But if you can really, really grasp this concept, then no, it's not up to the school. It's not up to the state. It's not up to the government. It's not up to the church. It's not up to the people down the road, the daycare or whatever. Really, if dads will just step up and say, you know what, I'm the CEO. Now, this puts you in a, power, in a position of great power and great responsibility because as a CEO, the buck stops with you. I mean, and if your kids get a good education, it's your fault. And if they get a bad education, it's your fault, right? Because you're going to say, I'm taking responsibility right. for this. And as a CEO, you say, okay, I may decide to outsource some of it. I mean, I might decide to homeschool for crying out loud. Maybe I'll say, teach them at home, but I may decide to outsource it to the public school. I may decide to outsource it to a charter school. I may decide to hire a public school. I mean, a private school. I may decide to hire a tutor or get him enrolled in karate lessons to teach him self-defense. I might want to help him learn music if that's what they're passionate about, get him some, some piano lessons or violin lessons. But what I'm doing is I'm saying, you know what? Because parents, and I, and I, I want to back up just a second here because this is super important. Um, gosh, and I'm feeling it as I say this to you. If I asked you a question, if I said, you know, Dave, do you, do you know what your great, great grandfather did for a living? I'll ask this question to people all over the place. And I'll tell you, most people can't answer it. 
you, by the way, you had eight of them, eight great, great grandfathers. And, and some people say, well, one of them was a farmer. I said, what were the other side? <laughs> you know? um, and, and here's the truth. What we do for work, Dave, our great, great grandkids are going to care about as much as we care. They're not going to care what we did for work. So we could be the greatest, amazing people at work, but it's not going to matter in the long run. Most companies in 15 years are bought, sold, bankrupted, disrupted. But let me tell you, let me give you one really obvious example. You know, I live in America because somebody in Europe, one of my ancestors, one of my fathers, one of my fearless <laughs> fathers a long time ago, he decided to be fearless and be a fearless father and get on a ship and come to America. Well, because I'm here in America, my educational opportunities are different and, and they're great. And I have economic opportunities I wouldn't have. I have, you know, affects my culture, my religion, it affects everything because this somebody 200 years ago came to here. It's affecting me profoundly today. Now, that's a really obvious one. But there's other things that filter down just as much that you don't see. They're a little bit invisible. And they're, you know, what were my were my ancestors? Were they mean? Were they patient? Were they were they loving? Were they checked in? Were they checked out and drunk? I mean, what what were they? Right? That kind of stuff can pass down. So what you and I do, Dave, I mean, what you and I do as dads is gonna go on for hundreds, I mean generations. What you and I do for work, it's probably gonna be dead couple decades maybe okay? a generation and, and i'm not saying we can't do good in the world i'm not like i'm not discounting any good sure. you do or i do in the world but i'm saying the most value we're going to leave in this world is how we treat our kids and our families and if we can inspire and i love that you're doing this dave i mean the fact that you have a podcast called fearless fathers people need to hear good things that you have to teach people to, to be dads to be fearless fathers i mean they need you they need a good voice to say, let's do this. And so my hat's off to you. I Thank mean, it you. really is. Thank you. Good for you for starting this Thank podcast. You. That, that means a ton. That means a ton coming from you. And just to touch on some things you said, like you're absolutely right. Like we, oh. we look at like, oh, legacies. We want to build this massive legacy for our children. And unless you're like a Rockefeller or like a, a Carnegie, nobody cares. Uh, honestly, yeah. nobody cares. What's going to matter is the legacy you leave behind as far as what you're instilling in your children. What are you that's doing right. day in and day out that's going to leave that lasting legacy where they're going to be like, oh, he's a Devo. I, their family's been a great family for generations and they did all of this, but I know they have some problems, but man, they really worked hard. And that that's like inspiring. And that that's the kind of stuff that lives on in generations. And I, that's exactly right. And this, and back to the CEO thing, if you can say, if you can say, I'm going to put as much effort into being a good dad as I am trying to pursue my career. So what a lot of dads do is they get distracted and they're like, well, I want to make money and keep up with the Joneses and I want to do this and this and this. And then they neglect their kids at home, not realizing that the biggest influence they're going to have ever in the whole planet is when they're, when their kid comes up to them and they're six or five or eight and says, Hey dad, you want to play? And they remember that good memory or they, or they, or they, you know, my dad taught me to, you know, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> it took me camping. And these memories that will, will literally help them throughout their lives is going to last so much longer than, hey, I made a few extra bucks because I worked harder and I was checked out. Or, I mean, so and it doesn't mean you have to do something crazy. Sometimes it's just like, OK, I'm going to make this little tiny daily decision to when I when my kids are around to have my phone in the other room. At least for an hour a night, for an hour a night, 
whoever's calling me, they can wait. I'm just going to be yep. with my kids. Something small like that, that can, that can make a huge difference. I mean, and, huge difference. It, like hundreds of years And again, we're now. talking about the consistency compounding, right? We're, we're, we're That's beating right. this down for a reason because it's true. It, I've done it. Right. X has done it. I mean, we've all done it as we're listening and thinking back to our own lives and our own childhood. And one thing like with that, like you're the CEO, right? You're CEO at work where you're at. Guess what? You're almost bringing back the same rituals and the routines subconsciously that you don't even realize you're bringing back to your family home. I remember when I was working for this and I hated work and, and luckily my son was really young, but I'm starting to instill like, I'm just miserable. I hate life. Like, yeah, he puts a smile on my face. As soon as I see that little coup face and he's got drool coming down because he's like six months old. And, and I, I take that stuff up. But for those dads out there who have the children, eight, 10, 15 years old, you're bringing that stuff home. And, but you are that CEO, the buck stops with you. You take that responsibility. That's right. What, whatever education and you, you know want. What? If, if, if you, Dave, if you and I can start a revolution where we can get dads to start thinking like that, man, let's do it. I mean, go. the fact that you're already doing it, I'm so proud of you for doing this, man. Because like start a revolution where we can get dads saying, I am going to be the best dad. I'm going to put as much effort into learning how to be a good dad as I am to learning how to be a good mechanic or my career. Systems you know? manager, right? Like we, we like exactly. you said, we all chase the buck and, and those, those fears and those worries come in like, you come home and the phone goes off and, oh, it's my boss. I have to do this. And it's, oh, I have to do it. No, you don't. What you have to do is you have to be present for your kids. You have to be the CEO. You have to set. Really, I learned this best from uh, another entrepreneur, Shane Larson. He said a CEO is the only one in the business that sets up systems. So what you're doing as a CEO in your family is you're setting up a system, a dynamic that's going to move or break your family further or further or even closer to your own goals in your next level. You're exactly right. And and just little systems right. that are easy. Like my system is when I come home, I'm putting my phone away. Right. <laughs> I'm going to be with my kids and play with them. Even if I'm tempted, I'm going to just disconnect from technology and be present. I mean, that's, that's a system, right? And it's not a hard system. It's just a, here's where I put my phone. I put it in the drawer and I'm going to go back and be with my kids. Simple system. I've, right? made, it, I've made it a reason to every morning, an hour after I get out every morning, my phone, I don't even take my phone downstairs half the time anymore. For that first hour, hour and a half, I don't even know what's going on on social media. I don't know what's going on. I don't know who texted me. All I'm worrying about is having some coffee, saying hello to my beautiful wife, my amazing son, and we're just having a good family morning. And that's it. That is my system. Now, do I backtrack on that? Absolutely. We all have our days. But it's it's (laughs) recognizing that and understanding that, hey, CEOs screw up. Big businesses screw up. You're allowed to screw up. It's just, what are you going to do? Are you going to let that temporary defeat become a failure or are you going to move forward from it? That's right. And we're in, and, and don't get discouraged because we mess up, but we do, you know, sometimes it's a good day. Sometimes it's not, but like, if we keep doing that compound effect that you were talking about, Dave, where we're just, I'm going to consistently try to do the little things. And I'll, sometimes I'll make, I'll be good. Don't beat yourself up. If you have a bad moment, keep going, just keep, it's the, if you can, if you continually keep trying that compound effect is going to, is going to, is going to work. So don't get, don't get frustrated if you have a bad day or two. Just keep moving along. And I think that's a huge takeaway in that. And that actually leads me into my next point as far as like our feelings and when we're having those days and when we just want to like curl up and forget about the world. And like you talk about like you can actually choose your own feelings and it's physically possible. Now the listeners are probably like, there's absolutely no way. No, I don't believe you. Let's get out of here. But I want to hear what you have to say about this. 
Well, I want to I tell you this. This is really interesting. So a lot of people feel like something outside them. It's, 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 the, it's the politics or the environment or my wife or my kid. So, something's driving me crazy. You know what? This, I got to tell you this. There was this guy, Stephen Covey. You probably mm-hmm. heard of him. He wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He wrote it probably 20, 30 years ago. And he wrote this book. Anyway, he was a big guy. I, I remember reading something out of this book, and I hope I'm saying it right. But he had somebody come up to him after this conference. And this person comes up to him and says, I don't love my wife anymore. And it was surprising to him. He, so he, he's kind of caught off guard. He looks at the guy and he goes, well, then love her. <laughs> and the guy goes, the guy goes, I, I, I don't love her. I mean, we've fallen out of love. She's fallen out of love with me. We have three kids. I think we're heading for the divorce. And it's kind of, it, it's, it, it's kind of, it's kind of caused me some angst. And Stephen Covey looked at the guy and said something like this. He said, if you're not feeling it, that would be a good reason to just love her. And the guy looked at him and said, well, how do you love someone you don't love? And Stephen Covey looked at him and said, you know what? You're acting like love is a feeling. Love isn't a feeling. Love's a verb. It's an action word. Like it's something you do. But here's the key. If you do the verb the feeling will follow. Now, did you hear what I said there? And this is a principle that's true in life. Let me just tell you what I mean. Uh, I'm going to back up here because we're going to circle back. I have this friend named Brody and he was living in um, a neighborhood I lived in years ago. Brody, he did this, I think it was called the Spartacus workout. It was this workout that he had. It was all kinds of muscle confusion. I think it was about an hour long and he did it. And he said, I was so sore. I wanted to die. And, um, he said, but I had committed to do this workout. So I did it again the next day and I was still so sore. I wanted to die. And he goes, I did it again the next day and I was still so sore. I wanted to die. And I did it again. And I was still so sore. And he goes, I hated it. It was like, it was just, I didn't like it. I didn't feel good, but he goes, it was really interesting. I kept doing it. And he goes somewhere, he goes, I don't remember how long it was, but it was somewhere around week two and a half or three. He goes, I got to the end of the workout and instead of feeling like I wanted to die, he said, for the first time. I felt like I was just getting started. And he goes, that day I wanted to do it twice. So I did it twice. He goes, it happened again the next day. I got to the end of the workout and I wasn't done. I needed to do it again. So I did it twice that day. You see, what happened is, is he led his feelings. Now, the question is, like, so if you don't love your wife, let's just say you don't feel love for your wife. Well, you can say, well, we're just falling out of love. We're going to get a divorce. Or you can say, you know what? I've made a commitment to my wife. And I'm going to choose to love her, even though I'm not feeling like it. So I'm going to do the dishes. I'm going to give her a back rub. I'm going to take the kids or what I'm going to something, you know, take her on a date, whatever it is until the feeling falls, because really we can lead our feelings with our actions. I know we get it backwards in our society. It's like, well, we should just do whatever we feel, but here's the bad news. Have you ever noticed that your feelings are kind of like the, like the weather? I mean, you could be angry one minute, 30 minutes later, you're laughing and then you're embarrassed. That was me today. And like, (laughs) yeah. And if you base your, if you base your feelings, I mean, if you base your whole life on what you're feeling, you're going to get kind of fickle results because your feelings go like the weather. I mean, there's all over the place. So what you, what the, the key to success in my opinion is number one, figure out what's really, really real. Like what are the real principles? Like back up to Daniel for a second. There are principles and, and man, I got to back up here because this is, you've got me going. Yeah, Dave. That's how I do. <laughs> you're good at this, man. 
Um, let, let me just give you an example about principles. Okay. Principles are real, whether you believe they are or not. So here's a scientific principle, the principle of gravity. Gravity is just there. I mean, it works where I am at, it works where you're at, it works on the other side of the world. Gravity even works out in space. I mean, so gravity, I mean, it keeps the moon going around the earth, it keeps the earth going around the sun. Millions of miles away, there's these galaxies spinning around, held together, held together by gravity. They're everywhere. Uh, it's everywhere. Well, when you come in contact with any real true principle, like the scientific principle of gravity, you have a couple choices. You can either align with it or you can ignore it to your peril. So let me give you an example. With gravity, I was in Vail, Colorado a while ago. Vail, Colorado is a, is a ski town okay. in Colorado where people fly, they fly in from all over the United States, sometimes the world, to go ski. Well, what's actually happening? They take a lift up the, the thing, and then they're pulled down by gravity. Gravity gives them this thrilling experience, skiing in Vail, this beautiful area, and so you would say that the people in Vail, Colorado, they've recognized this principle of gravity and they've built systems that align with it. They build a ski resort. Well, you could build a hydroelectric dam and make money with gravity in, in, yeah. a, in, a, in a hydroelectric dam. You could start a skydiving company and sell, you know, yeah. parachuting. You could make a ton of money using gravity. Or what happens if you're careless and you ignore gravity? Well, you could fall off a cliff and die. So here's the thing gravity's just there. It, it, I mean, gravity's there, whether you believe it is or not. Gravity, if you align with it, you could either, you could come super wealthy with your ski resort or your zip line or your skydiving company or your bungee jumping or whatever you're going to do to use it. Or gravity could kill you. Gravity itself doesn't change. The only thing that changes is, did you align with it or not? So when we're teaching our children, what we've got to do is figure out so we can teach them what are the real principles because there are principles in human relations that govern everything. And they're, by the way, they're not the newest fad. They're the, they're the stuff that's ancient, like be honest, right? You tell the truth, even if it's hard, people trust you. Um, the golden rule, right. right? If you treat people like you want to be treated, good stuff happens. I can tell you a hundred stories where good stuff happened and helped me in my business and golden rule. These are the kind of things we got to teach our kids are principles, because if we can teach them the principle, um, they'll, they'll have a better shot at being successful in life. So what are they? Figure out what they are and then make your little tiny daily decisions align with them. So back to Daniel, he was aligning with, I think, was the principle called the law of the harvest. There's this principle that says if you plant seeds later on, you can you can get the, the crop. Well, he was planting seeds all the time for years. And now he gets this big $6.9 million crop. That was a principle he was aligning with and not ignoring. So like, just like gravity, he decided I'm going to align with the law of the harvest. And by the way, you can't cheat the law of the harvest. Can you imagine a farmer saying, you know, I forgot to plant my crops. And so I'm just going to cram. And maybe, you know, all the other farmers have some corn. That's seven feet oh, tall it's the I politics fault. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, anyway. it, it's a beautiful analogy because it's absolutely true. And like, choosing your emotions. Like, like you said, if you do the verb, the feeling will follow. I think that is probably right. one of the most, if not the most important takeaway in today's episode, honestly. And by the way, it, it might take a week or two or three or four or five. I mean, 
it's not like you do it and right afterwards you you feel it. Sometimes you have to lead it for a while, right? But you, you will. absolutely will. And that's like what we've done like with Fearless Fathers when we started. We planted our seed. We, we continued to grow. We we continued to go out there and share a message. And you know, now I feel two years so later, awesome. we're getting that harvest. We're starting to get that harvest. But it's still that fact of like, oh, I started a podcast. Oh, we only have five listeners. Oh, my mom said it's cool. That's about it. Uh, you know what? I think we're going to stop and go like we're so enamored and we're almost psychological or subconsciously teaching our children that instant gratification is better than delayed gratification. I think that's been like the topic of this whole episode. We're forgetting that when we let those seeds plant, we're not going to get an apple orchard overnight. You're not going to get a cornfield overnight. It's going to take backbreaking labor. I've seen so many people in my military career and my civilian careers, even at home, at home with close friends, they've been like, man, this sucks. Like I'm, I'm trying to get this promotion at work and I'm just like, everybody's hating me. And I, I don't, I'm like, what are you doing? What do you mean? It was so-and-so. I'm like, no, what are you doing? What are you physically doing or mentally doing to prepare yourself to get to the next level? Why you're not on my side. I'm not saying I'm not on your side. What I'm saying is you want to sit there and you want to stop because you didn't get what you wanted yet. You didn't reach your next level. But what happens if you made a small shift? What if you did, oh, five, you came in five minutes earlier or you did this or you did that. And I have other friends who are like, oh, That's I went all thing. the way here and I did this. And people are like, oh, I wish I could do that. Well, in reality, you can't. It's just finding the principles to get to that level. And then just doing your little tiny daily things that align with those principles, right? right? So like um, – <sighs> Like, let, let me give you one more example. You're exactly right. I love how you said that. Like the difference between being successful as a dad and being a failure as a dad, a lot of times comes down to just little tiny things like, like Daniel did just, did, am I going to look it up or not? I mean, that's a tiny decision, but it made all the difference for Daniel. I mean, it made all the difference. Same thing in our, in our parenting, right? You know, one of the things that I learned, um, with parenting, I was reading this book. It's called the, in fact, I've got it right here. It's, it's called the power of positive parenting by Glenn okay. Latham. It's a book. My brother who happens like education was reading. I got to tell you, it's a super book. Um, it, one of the things he says is he says, if you want to get rid of, like, if you want to really align with principles, they're as powerful as gravity. Now that's me talking. Okay. So you want gravity to be on your side where I don't know if you've ever stood on, on top of a big dam mm. and you can feel like a hydroelectric dam. You can almost feel the dam shaking. It's got this, it's like, it's like vibrating. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's got this huge amount of water going through it. It's this powerful force going through. And when you align with principles that are true, like you're talking about, it's almost like you've got this force behind you, driving you to success, making you a good dad. Now, if you ignore principles, it's like ignoring gravity. I mean, you want to flirt with the cliff and fall off, <laughs> die, or do you want to have a hydroelectric dam or, or start a ski resort, right. something that's big and use gravity as your example. And so one of the things that came to mind that I, when you were talking about this is like this principle that he teaches in here, which is, it's basically the golden rule, but it's a spinoff of it. What it is, is, is and the golden rule is the real principle, like treat people like you want to be treated. But he basically says, if you can catch your kids doing something right, and this is a big one as dads, because a lot of times we're like, I can't believe you did this or that. But if we can catch them doing something right, that is the biggest way. It's, it's the most powerful way 
to shape human behavior. And I'm going to say it again slowly. Catching people doing something right is the most powerful way to shape human behavior. It's not the second most powerful way. It's not just kind of a good idea. It's the most powerful way. So like with your kids, let, let me give you yeah, one just absolutely. example that he talks about in this book. He was talking about this, this kid who was getting sent to the principal's office all the time. And it became such a problem that they called in the school council and they said, well, let's figure out why this kid's getting sent to the principal's office all the time. Now, what was happening is the counselor went and sat in this room and she said, you know what, there was this, there, this kid was doing a ton of things right, but getting zero attention for it. I want to take a little pause here. Behaviors are like seeds. So like if you take a seed, we're talking about the law of the harvest, right? Behaviors are like seeds. Attention is like water. So if you imagine I have this pitcher in my hand filled with water, I water the behaviors I want to see grow with attention. And whatever I give attention to, I'm going to water. Now, here's the problem. Have you ever seen a parent, the kid walks in and the parent says, you didn't make your bed and you, you, all you do is play video games all day right here. and you didn't do this. What that parent is doing is actually watering the weeds. They're watering the behaviors they don't want to see grow with attention. And it's so much more effective if you, want to, if you want to help inspire your kids is to catch them doing something right. By the way, they're thirsty for it. They want you to catch them doing something right. They need dad to say, hey, son, you did a good job, man. Or, hey, daughter, you look at how you made your bed. It looks great. And so anyway, back to the story. He, he, he's, this, this counselor walks in. She see, sees this. This kid's doing a ton of stuff right, but the teacher's not giving him any attention. So not watering the seeds at all. Nothing, no, no attention for what he's doing right, even though he's doing a lot of stuff right. But as soon as he does something wrong, the teacher goes, oh, I knew you It writes his name on the board. And then he does something else and she gives him a check mark and give, do something else, another check mark. And eventually she's marching this kid down to the principal's office yet again for the umpteenth time. And when he when they get to the principal's office, they sit him right next to this window and he's waving to his friends like they're, they're, he's getting a lot of attention, waving to his friends through the window here. And so um, what's happening is the kid and, and the counselor said this, they're like this is completely predictable behavior. I mean, you're giving him a ton of attention for doing bad stuff, but when he does good stuff, you, you, you totally starve it with zero attention. That's what happens. And so, you know, um, how can we as dads do a little tiny thing that we may not think matter, but instead, instead of saying, Hey, when you walk in the door and you've had a hard day at work and you're tired and your boss is grumpy and you come in and you kind of want to kick the cat <laughs> and be mean, yeah. you know, how can we like, if we can make a little bit of that, like, okay, I'm coming in and maybe just take a minute and just tell ourselves, okay, I'm going to catch each one of my children doing a few things. Right. I don't care how the house looks. I don't care how annoyed I am. I don't care what they did. And that little point, because the, the truth is they found the research shows the research shows that if you, if you catch people doing stuff right, the, actually the bad behavior starts to dry up and go away because it's not. It's crazy. It, it, it's mind blowing. And you bring up an amazing point in the fact, like, again, going back to the beginning, our kids look at us as the number one educator in their lives and they want to be able to be recognized for all the great they do. It, no matter how small it is, it's like, take yourself back at work for a minute. You had a project where you didn't get the acknowledgement that you wanted. Like we as humans subconsciously, you know, Ages ago, we always wanted attention. We always wanted to show, hey, these are my good deeds. But somewhere down the line, 
somebody watered the weeds and we kind of get rid of that. And we tend to bring that back to our kids who really just want that attention and be like, hey, good job. Pat on the back. Amazing stuff. You did great. You made a bowl of cereal. Awesome. You didn't spill the milk. Amazing. We get. And this is the, this is what you just said. I love how you said this. You know what, Dave, you, you and I and all the dads listening to this, we get to be the change we want to see. So even if our dads blew it, and they probably did their best, you know, for where they were at. But you know what? We get to be the change. And that it's hard. It's so such an rewarding. opportunity. We get to break the change, make it better. Break those generational traditions that no longer serve you so you could be a better dad than what you had growing up. I firmly believe till the day I die, our job as dads is to do better than what we had growing up. No more, no less. Yeah. X. You you know you're, you're dropping amazing value in all this and i i want to hit i would save this for last for a reason because i'm super pumped to hear about this we talked about this in the beginning of the episode how xane dropped his new book it just came out on amazon what i want my children to know before i die so i want to hear about this being a motivational speaker an author a, a great dad a hide and seek champion you name it you've done it well, I'm not always a great guy. <laughs> no, I'm, and I'm not that good at hide and go seek. You can ask my kids. I'm mediocre, but I try. Okay, my so research said otherwise. The truth is, I. The truth is, you know, I'm like everyone else. I have good days where I where I would I, I do pretty well, and there's days where I blow it. Um, but I'm just like every dad. I hope you know I'm trying, and my kids matter to me. And I and I decided to write this book. It's called What I Want My Children to Know Before I Die, and it it just talks about one of the things that's interesting. Is, you know, my mom died when I was eight years old. And because of that, I have this kind of unique perspective because I know what she did when I was six and seven, five. I mean, little, just little word. I mean, five second things she said to me in the hallway or things where now, like, I haven't given my mom a hug in over 36 years. I mean, she's been gone for over 36 years. But the things she said that took like five seconds in a hallway or that she said that I know happened that she did. They're affecting me profoundly today. They're affecting the way I'm raising my kids today. And she's been gone since 1986. So here I have, I can see it in a way that some people can't, that you really, I got to tell you, Dave, being a parent is the ultimate career. There's nothing else in the whole world that you will ever do that's going to have as much effect as the effect you have in your own, in your own home with your own family, with your own kids. I mean, so, you know, I mean, and if, if that message, if, if dads around everywhere can start internalizing that message that, you know what, I'm going to go to work, but it's still not going to have as big an effect as what it's going to have, what I can do at my home. And I'm going to learn to be a CEO and I'm going to learn how to, positively reinforce and catch my kids doing stuff right. I'm going to learn to put my phone down and just be present. And I know when they're watching me, I'm not going to be dishonest because, and it shouldn't be dishonest anyway, but they're going to be learning from me. You know, just the little things you do, make a few tweaks and try to just try to get a little bit better and really like pursue this. I'm going to try to learn to be a good dad. Makes all the difference. Take us through a little bit as compound to, effect, like you were like saying. Like we, we understand where you got the idea for the book and how all that happened. What are some things that like, potential readers could get out of the book? Well, a lot of them we've already talked about. Some of the stuff, you know, we've talked about catching your kids doing stuff in the right. Um, we've talked about the, the law of the harvest that we were talking about. So a lot, it tells the story about my, uh, you know, my, when my mom died and, and this kind of thing. But 
it really, it, it, it contains a lot of advice to my own kids that I decided, you know, might be helpful to others. Now, there's a lot of things I might tell my kids that I didn't put in the book, but there's a lot of things I did would tell my kids that I thought I'm going to share this with the public as well. And, um, you know, kind of the things we were talking about, you know, like when they're, when they're parents, I want them to know to do the same thing I did, you know, like, let, let me give you one last sure. example. We can wrap yeah. it up here, but like, like, let me give you one example in the book. If, if you have a kid and your kid says, Hey dad, can you make me a peanut butter sandwich? Like most of us can make a peanut butter sandwich in like 10, 15, 17, you just slap on the peanut butter and jam, slap it together and give it to him. But I was realizing like, but from like a confidence building standpoint, which by the way, I think most kids get their confidence from their dads. I mean, that's the way it's supposed to be there. They look up to their dad and they're like, if my dad can be a rock star confident, I, it internalizes in me that I can do it too, right? I can, I can do these things. Well, anyway, if you just said to your kid, instead of saying, Hey, here's your peanut butter sandwich. If you said, you know what? Do you think you can make one? And they say, well, yeah, well, well where's the jam? Where's the peanut butter? They go in the pantry and you make them go get it. And, and it might take you like six minutes to let, to have them like make their own sandwich. But I tried this with my kid and, and like, she was so delighted. The first time she made a peanut butter sandwich, she's like, look, I made it. And it was confidence building where I could have just done it right. for her, right? But like as a dad, if you can take those little opportunities, well, here's the thing, even though it took six minutes, or 10 minutes or four, whatever, however long it took. In the long run, I actually save myself a lot of time because she can do it. But I also gain because I have this confident kid who's like, I can do things, you know, simple things like that, like little tiny daily decisions where we're like, am I going to make it for her or am I going to let her do it? Should I, you know, should I catch her doing something right? Let me give you one more example sure. on the positive reinforcement thing. I'll be done. My daughter got up one day and she said, she goes, dad, Surprise, I got ready for school. I made my lunch, I made my bed. And I've learned about positive reinforcement not too long ago. And I went to my wife and I said, hey, this is a behavior we, we like. Let's water it with attention. So I went out there and I'm like, hey, your bed looks great. You made your lunch. I mean, thank you. And my wife laid it on really thick too. <laughs> well, well, guess what happened? She started doing it again. We kept watering the behavior with a good attention. What would have been less effective? What would have been less effective is if I would have gone in her room, waited till she slept in, didn't make her bed, didn't make her lunch, and then said, stormed into her room and said, I can't believe how many times do I have to tell you, you didn't make your bed, your lunch. I mean, am I have to, what I'm really doing without realizing is I'm making that behavior more likely to occur because kids would rather have some attention, even if it's negative. It's so no counterintuitive. Attention. So when you give attention to what's negative, it's called negative reinforcement or punishment even, that is not effective. It's not as effective when you're trying to shape human behavior. That's what we're doing as fans. I love it. I absolutely love it. If any of our listeners wanted to check out that book, where could they find it? Uh, you can go on amazon.com. And I got a funny first name. You spell it E-K-S-A-Y-N. So E-K-S is in Sam. A-Y-N as in Nancy. So E-K-S-A-N. And my last name is Anderson. Um, and we will have the link for all the books. If you want to connect with Xane, we'll have everything in the, in the description of this episode. Make sure you click on those. Give them a like. Give them a follow. Check out the book. Build those little small seeds. Plant those seeds for delayed gratification. Get that harvest strong. Build the apple orchard. Consistency is going to compound in all of this. X, is there anything else that you want to leave with our fearless family before we finish this episode today? Yeah, I appreciate it, Dave. First of all, keep doing Thank what you. you're doing. Um, but I will, I will say this. You know, my mom 
kind of, uh, she had this saying, she said, you know, no matter the question, love is the answer. And it sounds kind of, sounds a little cheesy, a little simplistic, but I really think it's true. If you can just choose, like we were talking to love people, not feeling it for your kids or your wife, lead your feelings. No matter the question, love is the answer. And what if you're not feeling it? Just choose to just love do it anyway. Love it. Thank you very much for have, for being on the show. Absolutely loved it. Wealth of knowledge. Make sure you follow him. Check out the book, What I Want My Children to Know Before I Die by X. St. Anderson. Link for that is in the description, as we said. Continue to go out there, guys. Continue to be the best dad you know you can be. Right, rate, like, and share this podcast wherever you are. Leave us a review. Let us know how this episode was if you want to see more episodes like this. Thank you for continuing to go out. And until next time, guys, let's rethink fatherhood. Thanks, Steph.